this morning, uh, we're going to be we're finally, we're, we're coming to an end with our History Makers series. I know it actually began a year and a half ago, and we've been going through a lot of the people of the Bible, a lot of the highlights and stuff like that, and so it's been a really fun series, but we've got, you know, God's got some other stuff for us as we round out 2018, but we're on the Apostle Paul, and uh, we're going to hit James and John, and then we're going to close out with Easter, uh, one of the, I think, the most powerful and prolific passages in the book of Revelation. So uh, please stay tuned. Lots of good stuff. Today is actually a message on sowing seeds. For some of you who don't know what that means, about giving, whether it's giving money or, or particularly giving money, but uh, there could be other forms of giving as well. But we're talking about sowing seeds. And in order to do that, you know, I love kind of finding videos that sort of go along with the theme. And so I got two for you this morning. Don't worry. Uh, I've got a whole message but I'm not going to preach it all today. We're going to hit points one and two today, and then next week we'll hit points three and four, and I'll do a little recap of one and two. Uh, that format seems to work really well, and uh, so I want to keep trying to do that if I can so that there, you know, I, don't, I don't ever have to skimp on teaching. We can just take our time through the, through the Sundays and make sure we get it done right. So today we're going to start off with the topic, and then we'll continue next week, close it out, uh, by the way, I think this is going to be an incredibly encouraging uh, topic to talk about. I know when we start talking about giving and stuff like that, it can feel like a doctor poking and prodding you. Not at all. God's got some great promises, and I think you're going to see that over this Sunday and the next Sunday. So we're going to watch our first video, and uh, this one's kind of fun. This one is about the premise is uh, a da or a, a, an adult gives their child $1, and on their right is an ice cream truck that you can buy an ice cream for a dollar, and on their left is a homeless guy. What are the kids gonna do? Let's watch. Hey, I'm Eric Collins of Manic Productions. Today we're gonna see how a child spends his dollar on an ice cream or a homeless man. Boy number one, boy number two, girl number one. What's the boys gonna do? Hey, look at the boys, yes. Gotta love it. Two boys so far. Could you? Oh no. Well, we all know that boys are more spiritual than girls, so you know. So Oh wait, 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 wait. What's she doing? What uh uh Oh she redeems herself. <laughs> the girls redeem themselves in the end. <laughs> this next video is about, have you ever gone to, I don't know, someplace, 
and you're just short a little bit of money, right? And does the person who's the cashier or whatever, do they sort of lend you the money or front you the money, or do they not? And by the way, there's a lot of different opinions about this. I was looking at the, um, all the different, they call it chat, um, all the comments that were made, and it was about 50-50. Some people are like, no, if you're short money, you're short money. Nobody's gonna, no business is going to last if we don't pay enough money. And then the other half of the people were like, you know what? It's good that every now and then, you know, somebody, if, if everybody was short money, that'd be one thing. But when somebody every now and then comes up short, it's good that we have this kind of heart. So watch this and see what you think. Hi, watching Omar Gosh TV. Today I want to recreate a situation that has happened to most people. And that's why we've been short a couple dollars or even a couple cents. And that clerk that works minimum wage has spotted you. Three sixty five for a shake. Always those feel-good videos, isn't it? You know, there's hope left in the world. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, this morning we're talking about what is a, a really sensitive subject, and uh, I, I try to avoid it with all my heart, uh, but uh, I really feel like the Holy Spirit laid it on us because there is something really encouraging in all of this teaching, and I, I am excited to share that. If you have your Bibles out, turn to Second Corinthians chapter nine, verses six through eight. I'm going to show you real quick what Paul wrote about this, and then we're going to break it down a little bit, show you some statistics, and get right to it. Heavenly Father, we pray now as we open our Bibles, we just open our hearts to what you would have to say, God, that uh, you, you, you're amazing. You are our provider. So Lord, help us to trust you 
as much with our money as we do with our soul. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 begins like this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. This is the supreme text on giving right here. But I will submit to you that it goes against all human nature to give anything to anybody. Rarely ever do you give a gift and not feel a little thing in your heart or in your natural person that goes, ugh, there's a little bit of a tug because it's not natural to give, it's unnatural to give. If it feels as unnatural to give to you as it does for me, that's very, very normal. Giving is a supernatural thing that we do. In fact, so supernatural that our statistics verify giving is one of the hardest things we can do. I'm going to throw a few of them up to you for you. Christians in America today give on average about 2.5% of their income levels to God. It's the lowest in all American Christian history. By comparison, during the Great Depression in 1933, Christians gave 3.3% of their income to God. Now, we're not in a Great Depression. In fact, we're in an economic uptick, and it is still the lowest that it's ever been throughout the history of the American church. From 2017 to 2018, there was a 17% drop in charitable giving to any nonprofit organization, including the church, schools, and education, or social services. 40% of regular attenders in a church do not give any money to the churches that they attend. 85% of millennials... Uh, those are men and women that are less than 36 years of age. 85% of them, 36 and under, give less than $50 a year to the church they attend. If this trend continues, by the year 2050, only 4% of the churches that exist today will be open for worship, save those that run on endowments. That's 12,000 churches Right now, we have roughly 280,000. It'll dwindle down to 12,000 churches to service a future population of 500 million Americans. The boomer and elder generations, those who are 55 and older, comprise about 75% of all Christian giving. They began donating in their teens and 20s. Only 7.4% of all Christians tithe which means they give the 10% of their income, which is the baseline standard as outlined in the Bible. Note this, 80% of tithers, that means 80% of those 7.4% who tithe have either no consumer debt or their debt-to-income ratio is positive. In other words, they could pay off their debts right now if they chose to. Mortgages were not considered consumer debt. And you may be wondering where I got these statistics. There's a very accurate and faithful annual uh, study called uh, State of the Plate, meaning the offering plate. <laughs> anyway, uh, State of the Plate. 
and they research this to see where those trends are going. You can also uh, go to Barna Research Group online and they publish all of these very easily to Google. I wanted to read you something today, something that comes from my heart. I am here today not just to talk about giving. It's not my goal to guilt anybody out of more money. I will always, always care more about you than your money. In the last eight years, I have not taken a raise from LifePoint Church. In fact, I have worked very hard by taking other jobs and keeping ministry costs lower and lower for everything so that I or the ministries I lead will not be a burden financially to this congregation. I am sharing today because I want to bring the encouragement and hope that God can be trusted with our finances, to teach you God's will concerning our money, and to share the hope that it's okay to give in order to get from God. For some reason, almost 90% of the people I talk to feel like that's a wrong motive to give. And God outlines it over and over in the Bible. When you give to the things of the Lord, you plant a seed, and God wants to multiply that blessing. He has no problem rewarding us. In fact, God is counting on it. As he blesses you, one amazing thing is going to happen. You're going to talk about it. You're going to tell other people. And God will be glorified in his blessing of you. Here's a trustworthy saying. Givers become getters, and getters live better. In no way do I believe your giving is tied to your salvation. We only go to heaven by believing in Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross, and the infilling of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Let me make that very clear. In this life, however, God wants to use his desire to bless us financially as a testimony to the world we live in. A testimony to his faithfulness and a testimony to his ability to provide. The hope we have in Christ is not just that God saves us from judgment in the next life, but blesses us to be a blessing to others in this life. One of the first confirmations of the reality of God came to me through money. I started out my work career very blessed. At a young age, I was able to get involved with a real estate firm. It was a very high-end real estate firm in suburban Seattle, and we were selling high-end homes. At that time, they were already six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars high-end commissions, and I w benefited from that immensely. I was only 22 years old and was already out-earning by a long shot, shot many other men my age. I'd own a home and all those kinds of things. But then one day, I answered the call to full-time ministry and walked away from that life to live on $208 a week. Well, needless to say, I often had no money. I struggled to pay my bills and my lavish lifestyle had ended. But one day, I received a check from the IRS in the amount of $178.68. I was ecstatic. I could go and fix my car. I could go out to eat. I was looking at that thinking, all my bills are paid, and, and I've even got a little money, you know, uh, in savings, a little meaning like 40 bucks. You know, I'm thinking to myself, 
this is, I could just, this is fun money right here. And I began to get excited and excited and excited. And I went to bed. I woke up the next morning and the check was still on the table when the IRS still sent you checks. And I just had this, this, I'll call it the voice of God, but it was this nudge. Give it to Jim. I was the associate pastor who lived in one of the parsonages on the church. He was the associate pastor that lived in the other. And he had, uh, he was married. I wasn't married at the time. He was married. He had three kids, uh, three boys, teenage boys. And uh, I remember he told me this. I remember this. He said, you know, he said, my kids don't know we're poor. But the fact of the matter is, is I skip a lot of meals so that my sons can eat. He, I, I don't know if I respected that or not at the time when he told me that. Like, you know, goodness gracious, we live in America. Anybody can find food. But I, I remember feeling for him. Like, yeah, that's, wow. That's, he, would, he would forego his own meal so that his kids could eat. I, at times, have done that just to honor that memory and that example that he showed. So I remember looking at the check going, oh, man, I got to give this to Jim. And it's never easy to give, I'm telling you. Even when you know God's leading you, it can be not easy to give. I walk over, and I knock on the door. He comes to the door. And I said, I kind of went like this. I said, God told me to give this to you. And he, you know, he, he took the check. He's like, wow. He's like, I, I think he was about to say, I can't take this. When he looked at the amount. And he goes, Tom, you got to come in here. So I came in. He had a little cove, sat down. I thought he was going to give me a cup of coffee, but that didn't happen. <laughs> he brings me a bill that he couldn't pay. The bill was $178.67. Exactly what the Lord had told me to give him. Now, I tell you, I could have taken that money. I could have went out and stuffed my face with Wendy's or Taco Bell or, you know, I don't know, done, done whatever with it. But none of that would have given me the joy of that odd moment of knowing that you were just used by God for something that is way beyond coincidence, way beyond. I mean, the, the staggering odds of that happening in that time, in that amount, I mean, just start doing the math. You, you go crazy. And I just had that moment that I knew that I knew that I knew. I was used by God financially for something. And I walked home that day just thinking to myself, man, that's the best $178.67 I ever spent in my life. And I think to this day, it still ranks up there in the top three at least. So we, we come to this point of how does God view giving? And we just read the scripture. We see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to go through a couple things this morning. We're going to put a comma, and then we're going to finish it up by seeing all the amazing, miraculous things that God has in store for us as we sow seeds. And the first, my first point is this. Givers reap in joy what they sow in sacrifice. If you look at 2 Corinthians 9, chapter, chapter 9, verse 6, it says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. In other words, if you sow not a lot, you won't get a lot. If you sow generously, you get generously. Psalm 126 verse 5 says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. If you truly believe God and, God, and that God is involved 
in our lives, money will become one of those tests of our relationship with him. How we spend it, what we spend it on, how much we trust in him. Money is very, 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 Money is very, very spiritual. Don't let anybody talk. Money is very, very spiritual. And when it comes to money, God often employs the sense of sowing and reaping. Now, I, I'll be honest with you. Before I did this study, I never really knew what sowing and reaping really meant because I have never sowed, whether it's a seed, I've never sowed a shirt, I've never sowed anything. So the concept was lost on me until I really studied it. And it became amazing to me as I began to study it exactly what God was doing with this concept. Oh, no, it's tight. Oh, I don't want to spew them all over the floor here. All right. I can do this. All right. There we go. So here's the deal. Here's what God says. With your times, talents, and treasures, right? God, he gives us seeds. It's our paycheck, right? And we got the seed in our hands. Now, these are pumpkin seeds. Now, I have these seeds. And if I want, I can keep them in my hand. I can eat one or two, right? And that's all we'll ever be is seeds. But if I take these and I let go of them and I plant them in the ground, what happens? You get more seeds, right? Pumpkins grow. And have, have you ever, you plant one seed, have you ever seen how many seeds are inside a pumpkin? I mean, you know, this is what God's trying to tell us. As he gives us seeds, our paycheck, if we want, it's our choice. We can keep them, and we can even eat them. But the seeds we get in that way are the only seeds we'll ever get. Or we can take that risk of faith, take that seed, give it away, let go of it, and see that seed become something more than just one seed to eat. Does that make sense? That is what whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. So how does this principle work? First of all, and you'll see on the next slide, sorry, I got a little bit of pumpkin seed in my mouth. First of all, we get what we give. If you want love in your life, we need to give love, right? If you want a friend, you give friendship, right? If you want joy, Find whatever little joy you may have left or maybe you got a lot and you give that joy away and the joy returns to you more. If financial blessing is one of the things you want, as we seed financially, financially that blessing comes back. That's God's promise to our finances. And the second thing is we get more than we give. God uses the seed as, a, as an example of the fact that it's never just one for one. When you plant a seed, 
you don't just get one back. When you plant the seed, you get multiple things back. God is a multiplier in terms of financial blessing. Here's the one thing. Like a seed, we get it later than when we plant. Uh, one time, I should say, I never not plant anything. One time, I think it was for one of my kids, one of their school things, we had to plant a seed of grass. And you got to water it every day. And the funny thing is, you know, you plant it and you water it. And for so long, what does it look like? A pile of dirt, right? You know, and then you see this one little green swirl, you know, and, you know, and you just keep watering it and watering it. And then one day you leave and you come back and all of a sudden it's like it all sprouted up at once. I don't know what happened, but the speed, the seed just went on steroids. And now it's like, you know, completely going. These are the principles that God is sharing with us, that we get what we give. We get more that we give through the multiplication effect, but we get it later. We get it later than when we give it, just like every seed has a gestational period. And this is the hardest part for Americans because we do not wait for anything. We don't wait for anything. We have zero patience for anything. We will go into horrible debt to get the house that we feel we need now. We will go into horrible debt to get the cars that we need now. We'll go into horrible debt to eat out, to get the clothes. To get, we'll, we'll, we just don't want to wait for anything. We don't want to wait for love. We don't want to wait for respect. We don't want to wait for sex. We don't, want, we don't want to wait for anything. It's everything now and in huge abundance. And that goes completely antithetical to God's principles. We plant that seed but we get it later. And for many people, they never are faithful enough in their giving long enough to experience the harvest, the blessing of the seed germinating and bringing back multiplication of fruit. That's why it's so important to begin these principles when you're young. It's often when you're older that you begin to see the incredible returns that it brings. It was uh, a few years ago, the Dallas Seminary, when it was uh, struggling, it was struggling financially, and uh, this was about 40 or 50 years ago, and uh, it was a great seminary, they had, they had pumped out a lot of great people, but all of a sudden, they had a $15,000 debt that the bank was going to foreclose on, and they was going to close their seminary, and uh, they had always been a, a, a giving seminary, they had always supported missionaries, they had always supported the work of God, so... I mean, all of their students and the board of directors, they get together and they're having a morning prayer meeting because if they do not have $15,000 by noon, they're going to shut down. And that was a lot of money in those days. It wasn't like, you know, they could all just, you know, take an offering and come out. They were all, they were all and they were praying and praying and praying. One man, W.A. Criswell, very, very uh, famous man in, in, in Christian seminary history and he stands up and he says, God, I know that you own the cattle on a thousand hills. And right now we need you to sell some of them. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. Everybody kind of got a chuckle like you got a chuckle, you know. And, and uh, it was about 11.45 a.m. They were about to call the bank and transfer everything and go into foreclosure that they could not come up with the money. When all of a sudden... This big Texan guy with a big shiny belt buckle 
and a cowboy hat walks into the door. He says, you guys don't know me, but I came up here on a cattle deal, and this morning the guy pulled out of it. And I just, I just sold all these cows, and uh, the deal went backwards. It's not going to go down. And uh, I got this $15,000 cash in my hand, and as I was driving, I just felt nudged by God to come here and give it to you. I'm so disgusted over this deal, I don't even want to take this man's money home. <laughs> God sold some of those cattle on a thousand hills and paid the $15,000 debt for that seminary. That is the principle of sowing and reaping, even if it takes you to the last minute. Number two, givers feel joy when they love who they are giving to. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Man, there's such a big difference between giving because you have to and giving because you want to. Giving with a kind of a scowl on your face and giving with a smile on your face. And the odd thing is, God actually cares about that. He cares about the attitude with which we give. Now, some of you may say, yeah, I give with a smile on my face, but sometimes it still hurts a little. That's fine. I'm not talking about that. Yes, it's always going to feel like, oh, you're always going to have that. But you can still do that with a smile and be genuine. People can tell when it's out of obligation. When God talks about sowing and reaping, he's not talking about you giving it to me, you giving it to the church, you giving it to the poor, you giving it to the seminary, you giving it to the missionary. That is not what God is talking about. What is God talking about? You're giving it to him. When you give your money to the church, you give it to God, not me. When you give support a missionary, you give the, you're giving that money to God. What did Jesus say in the end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 25? He said, surely whatever you have done for the least of these, you have done it for who? For me. What was he talking about? He was talking about giving clothes to the naked. He was talking about visiting those in prison. He was talking about giving water to the kids. And they're all scratching their head going, no, 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 Jesus, we gave it to the little girl over here. And Jesus is going, get this. You didn't give it to her. You gave it to me. And it's a hard concept to give, but when we give, for the cause of Jesus Christ. It may go to a person. It may go to somebody. But it is given to God. And you know what? I'm so thankful for that. Because sometimes I don't like people. You know? <laughs> supposed to laugh at that. You know? Sometimes I have a real hard time. I don't want to give to them, God. They're just that, that. You know? It's a lot easier when you're like, you know what? I'm giving to the Lord. And the Lord gives it to whoever he wants. We give what we give to God, not under compulsion, but with cheer. Now, uh, let's see. I got to pick on somebody here. I can't see you all very well. Ah, Steve and Heather, come on up. Come on up here for a second. All right. Yes. Come on up here, Steve and Heather. And I want you, you're going to see my back for a moment, but hopefully this will illustrate this scripture, okay? Heather, please come on this side. Steve, you're on this side, all right? Steve, you come over here. All right, Heather, you're over there, right? Right? Steve, this is for you, okay? Thank you. And you are going to give that to Heather. 
I want you to look at her right now, no smiling. Just very matter of fact, like she works in the power plant with you, okay? She's, she's, she's one, one of those. And I want you to repeat after me. I want you to say, Heather, you are my wife. It is Valentine's Day. And I am obligated to get you something. So here you go. And go ahead and give it to her. <laughs> I mean, like really, you know, who would that, who would that make anybody feel, right? How do you feel about that? Yeah. Yeah. It's the day two. Right. Awesome. Give these guys a hand. <laughs> you start to get a picture of this. We sow, and we sow in joy. We sow saying, you know what, God? I'm not obligated. I want to be a part of this of this cycle of sowing and reaping. I want to sow into your kingdom, and when the time is right, and it may be years from now, I can't wait to receive the blessing. But for others, it may not be so easy. Missionary Del Tar was a missionary to West Africa. He was one of the first missionaries to step into a particular area where West Africa borders the African savanna. If you know anything about this climate, they are very rainy for four months out of the year and then bone dry, so dry that the ground, the clay of the ground begins to crackle and, and it has that crackled look and the plants die, animals uh, starve to death or dehydrate to death. Uh, it's a horrible thing what happens eight months out of the year on the border of this savanna and they sent missionary Del Tar to the outlying villages because they had never had a chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Upon arriving, he was able to gather all of the villages and he presented to them the truth about Jesus. They had said, we had heard this once before, but the missionary didn't stay. He got too hungry and he left. We will support you. We will build the church and we will all become Christians if you promise to stay with us because we don't know anything about this. He was weeping. He had never heard of a success story in a missionary field in all his life. Villages ready to, to become Christian if the missionary would only stay. So they built him a, uh, a hut, house, and they made him a part of the central village where all the outlying villages were connected. The thing was, he came in May. May, June, July, and August, it rains. And you can hear the sound of dancing. He thought it was the most wonderful people on earth. They were dancing all the time. They were still only eating about one meal a day. But their crops were growing. And they would pet their crops and fluff up their leaves. And then there was a true sound of joy during the months of September and October and November as they harvested all of the wheat and they harvested the sorghum and the, and the millet and they were eating two meals a day and 
everybody was happy and they had dancing celebrations and storytellers. Every night the whole village would gather and it would be a party. He thought he had died and went to heaven until December hit. The food begins to run out. And all of a sudden those who were on two meals a day are barely on one meal a day. January, they're on one meal a day. February, they began to be on one meal every other day and then a half day. By the time March and April hits, almost every family in the village is surviving on one half to a quarter of a meal a day. Out of their harvest, they had taken 10% each family, which is the biblical standard of tithing. They had taken 10% out of their food and they had given it to the missionary to live. And so he had, with that 10%, he had enough food to continue to eat at least one meal a day, even though he would give away food as he could. He said it was early one April morning as he was trying to sleep, he heard a wail begin. Not a wail from the ocean, but a wail from crying. And the next morning, he couldn't sleep all night because this wailing kept him up. He said it sounded like coyotes or, uh, or some sort of fox or something that was howling all night, wolves. And the leaders of the village said, no, 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 it wasn't that. It was the babies. They're starving. Oh. And throughout the whole month of April, he listened to the wailing of the babies. He looked at his food. He looked at his life and he felt horrible. That these people are starving just to give to me. So he went to the village elders and he said, you know, um, I think I'm going to go. Which was the one thing they asked him not to do. I think I'm going to go. I realize now that it is too much for you to support me here. And I will give back all that you've given me so that your babies can eat this month. And the village elders said, that was not the deal. We agreed to follow you. We agreed to fund you. We gave, everybody gave 10% so that you would be comfortable here, so that you would eat. You said you would not go. Why are you willing to leave us now when we need you the most? So he stayed. And what happened was horrific. The rains never came. It was a drought. Not only had these people just given 10% of the money they didn't have, they were now going to starve and they would lose family members. The village elders made it very clear, people will die. People will die this time. He went out and he grabbed the dry clay and he started crying and weeping. And he said, God, how could you do these to these people? You said, whoever sows in tears shall reap in joy. And right now I want to go back and tell them what it really means is whoever sows in tears will die in drought. And as he was crying and reaping, weeping, he looked ahead of him and he saw a herd of animals coming. One thing he didn't realize is that the drought pushes the animals closer to the villages and they're weaker 
and more tired and easier to hunt. And as he was praying, he ran back to the village and he screamed, deer, deer. They weren't deer, they were gazelles, but trying to stay true to the story. Deer, deer. And the villages went out. They were able to hunt and they were able to feed their families that summer. And as, <clears throat> as they were feeding, he began to think of something. Wait a minute. What these people need isn't a river, but a well. He was able to contact an American church. That American church raised $150,000 to give away so that a well could be dug deep enough and rich enough that all these villages could siphon off of it. By September of that year, he had provided a well, and there had been meat, and they were able to make it through. The next season, they said, well, this is great, but we have no seed because we planted our seed, and now the drought came, and the seed's been scattered. It's gone. And he said, yeah, that's a problem. And so he went out, and he prayed again. When the rains came, little did they realize that the drought and blown the seed and spread it out everywhere far wider than the villagers had ever cared to cast their seed. And when the rains came the following year, they crops began to spring up everywhere, not just in the fields, but in the forest. In fact, it's known today, you can Google it, called the wheat forest because it is one of the few miraculous places on earth where the trees and the sunlight and everything mixes just right, where there was just wheat everywhere on the ground and it said that as they gathered that year not only was it no trouble to support the missionary with 10 percent but for the first time ever they had sent a truck of grain across western africa across the savannah into a little known country at the time that was on the verge of starving called ethiopia long before farm aid Long before the United States sent one ounce of rice to Ethiopia, this village sent a truck out of their abundance. Why do I share with this story? It's the principle of sowing and reaping. If you want, you can keep these seeds in your hands. Hands down, if I didn't really believe in God and didn't trust there was one, it's probably what I'd do. But I know there's a God. And I know that when you let go, and you plant that seed, God sees that faith and he honors it. He honors it by multiplying your blessings. And that is what I want for all of you. Amen? Amen. So this morning, before we close, I'd like to just have a response. And the response is this. To begin to look at ourselves as seed sowers, not out of obligation, not out of compulsion, but out of joy. And you may say, where should I sow that seed? I'll be very unashamedly honest. Right here. LifePoint needs it. Not for me, not to pay me, for the vision that God has given us, for the things that we want to continue the ministries we want to continue to support. We need it now more than ever. 
if you could make March an extra giving month to LifePoint Church, I truly do believe that the Lord will see that and honor that. And I just want to let it be known. Well, we need it. But if you feel led to another place or to give in another way, by all means, let the Holy Spirit be your guide. But this morning, let's pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, I want to have your peace and your blessing. Help me to sow the seeds, to reap in joy, to start wherever you lead, to worship you, to love you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.